I saw how they were treated. And to me, that is not how some of the biggest decisions of your life should be made. And I thought by getting into the real estate industry that I could change the narrative behind that. My narrative was pretty much F, all real estate agents, mm-hmm. all real estate, this, that, and the other. Mm-hmm. And I knew that I needed to change that mindset. Mm-hmm. And the only way that I could do that is an acting change myself. Welcome to the Real Better Life podcast, where people that are writing stories worth telling share their knowledge, wisdom, and perspective to help you go further, faster as you move to your better life. Over to your hosts, Dave Ness and Rob Alkema. Welcome to episode 16 of the Real Better Life podcast. And today we are joined with one of Thrive's up-and-coming superstars, none other than Mr. Kyle Vasey. Kyle, like many Thrivers, is a former collegiate athlete. He played college football at Penn State, started as a walk-on and actually earned a full scholarship, became team captain his last two years, and then played in the NFL for a year before he moved out to Denver and um, transitioned into a sales career. About two years later, we met Kyle and he joined Thrive back in August of 2022. And in his first 12 months in real estate, he did 23 transactions. And today we get to hear that it's all about mindset. And some of the themes you're going to hear from Kyle today are things like the power of being unreasonable, the importance of internal competition, not just external competition. And you're going to hear about mental toughness, which seems to be a recurring theme on a lot of these podcast episodes. So with that, let's kick it over to Kyle. Oh man, we are super pumped to be back in the Real Better Life podcast studio in Denver, Colorado. And today we've got a fantastic guest that we've been super excited about having in for a number of weeks and it's finally worked out. So got Mr. Kyle Vasey in the house. If that name happens to ring a bell, it's because Kyle played college football at Penn State, hailing number 96 and graduated and went on to play for the Atlanta Falcons, hailing jersey number 48. So Kyle, welcome. Thank you, Dave. I appreciate it. Right on, man. We're super pumped to have you here. Yeah, we want to dive in and just give the audience maybe like a two, three minute background. What were you doing just prior to real estate? What just catch us up to speed like in the last, uh, prior to real estate, last few years? Yeah, so as soon as I got out of college, you know, I had a big interest in physical fitness. I was never a fast guy. I was never a strong guy. That's how you become a long snapper. You realize you're not good at anything, and then they just throw you somewhere where you'll fit. <laughs> so <that's, laughs> I, I got this big interest in physical fitness and how to better myself physically and mentally. Got into personal training, ended up managing a couple of facilities out here in Denver, and really dove into the business aspect of how to run a business. Yeah, because if I remember right, you actually started as a trainer, but then started to transition after how long when you started that just transition more like into the business side of things? Um, about eight months. So I was naturally, I've never done sales before in my life. I personally hated sales. Me too. And the idea of it, you know, <laughs> I was like, this, this just does not sound like me. Got into the personal training and realized that sales isn't selling somebody something. It's building a relationship. And it's totally well different said. than what I had thought it was going to be. So got into the management side about eight months. It's my career. Okay. When you think back on that, just to dig in a little bit. But when you think back on that, what did you think sales was? I thought sales was some guy in a suit showing up to your door or something like that. You know, it's this uncomfortable situation where you need something, but someone is going to try to push something on you that is not reasonable in your current state or your current financial situation. Yeah. Which I think is 
probably pretty common. Yeah, oh, absolutely. Among most people, they tend to think of sales that way. And for good reason, let's be honest. You know, yeah. there's, there's yeah. a lot of that out there, especially in real estate. <laughs> That's fair. So yeah, very, very fair. And so you then, about eight months, started to get interested in that side of it. What was it like to make that transition? Did you notice some different parts of your brain being activated and just different things that you didn't think you would be interested in that you ended up being interested in? Yeah, so realistically, you know, when I graduated college, I graduated with a degree in rehabilitation and human service and psychology. What I'd wanted to always do is kind of run my own business and and get into that kind of thing. And eventually I wanted to go back for an MBA. Uh Well, I don't exactly come from money. So I realized that the best way for me to get an education on how to run a business was to run a business. So diving into the management side of things, I was able to get an idea of how numbers were, KPIs, you know, profits and loss, things like that, that you need to know how to run a business. And getting into that, you know, my brain really changed from this person who was, I would say, a vocal leader to a proper leader. You know, there's different situations where you need different kinds of leadership. Mm. And I realized that I can't just rah-rah the team. Sometimes they need reinforcement in different areas based on metrics. Sometimes they need, you know, personal coaching based on a scenario they have. It really, really matters and depends on the person. Got it. Where did this desire to run your own business come from? I think because my dad has always run his own business. He was in high-end landscaping growing up, so he had his own company. He did a whole bunch of things. And just being able to run my own business means that I eventually can spend more time with my family. You know, I'm married now. I got a puppy out of nowhere. (laughs) (laughs) So that kind of happened. But realistically, the biggest gripe that I have growing up is not spending more time with my family because Mm -hmm. my parents both worked so much. Mm -hmm. So they had a very dramatic, I mean, I guess I could say my childhood was very dramatic is in the sense that we were very well off mm-hmm. then 2008 hit mm-hmm. and then struggled for three, four, five years and then got back to it. And I want to be able to control the time that I have with my family as opposed to being on somebody else's watch and, and dollar. Yeah, that's huge. Time, flexibility, agency over your own calendar. Yes. Ability to make, yeah, ability to make your own decisions. Well, why real estate? So you did the physical fitness part of it and got in as a trainer, but then transitioned to management and business and got really interested in that. What was it within that, that all of a sudden you were thinking, I actually want to pursue the business side, but in the context and in the industry of real estate? One little preface to that, that I think is important, because like some context, if you don't know this about Kyle, like, you know, when you and I first connected, you weren't just coming from this industry, you were coming from having broken a bunch of sales records at your previous company In fact, you were so good that they kept moving you around from like underperforming location to underperforming location. And I think when we connected, I think you had been to like eight different locations, right? And you were the rainmaker. You were the dude who came in and turned things around. So you're breaking all these records. You're doing really well. You've got the numbers to back it up. So that's a little additional context to this question because people that don't know you don't necessarily know that. Yep. And the boss, the owner of the company did not know my name. He Mm. thought I was just a trainer when I was showing up to these meetings and breaking all these records. That day, I got that conversation about 11 o'clock. I applied to Thrive, I think, 12, 15. Ah. So things happened very quickly. (laughs) (laughs) I was, I'm not a instantaneous, trying to think of the word, you know, just quick to respond type of individual. I don't do things rashly. Mm. However, that's the kind of situation where you realize where your worth is. Mm -hmm. And when you're not being appreciated for the efforts that you're putting in, the time that you're sacrificing, you move. Mm. Mm-hmm. And so were there thoughts or experiences or did you read or did you explore prior to that to 
have real estate in the crosshairs? Yeah, yeah. So when me and Rob met for, I believe it was my second interview, we kind of dove into this a little bit. I was a weird kid. I hey, liked... Just so you know, you still are weird. Yeah, and I, <laughs> I grew the beard today and everything. I'm, you know, this thing took a while. This is like a month of work right here and I'm putting like beard balm and all this crap in it, so... I'm, give, I'm giving you crap. Uh, so, sorry, you're a weird kid. Yeah, so I, while my friends were drawing pictures of like cars and like things like that, I was drawing blueprints. I wanted to be an architect. Ah, Okay. Then I took Algebra 1 and failed at my freshman year of high school. <laughs> so I realized sometimes shit is not sweet, as we say in football. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so very quickly I realized that architect might not be the best career choice for me. But what really kind of set it off for me was the 2008 recession. My parents had purchased their home, I believe it was in 2005 or okay. 2003. Um, we went from a family of three, me and my mom and my dad, and my mom popped out twins. And they came in, screwed up the world. We had to get a bigger house. Um, <laughs> ended up going, getting the bigger house. And 2008 hit. And my dad, who was in a luxury business, high-end outdoor landscaping, doing waterfalls, patios, outdoor kitchens, this, that, and the other, mm. that business disappeared. 2008 was an absolute nightmare for yeah. most homeowners. Nobody was doing the landscaping anymore. <laughs> no, not yeah. at all. And my mom was at Wells Fargo, mm. which if we remember 2008, mm-hmm. the Wells Fargo scandal hit. Oh, yeah. And they laid off, God, I don't know how many people it was, but it took us from being a very, very well-off family Mm. to my parents both getting paper routes, my mom bagging groceries after working at a different bank during the day, Mm. my dad having to collect unemployment, and that is probably the hardest thing he's ever had to do. He's just like me. He has to work. I feel weird on vacations. Mm -hmm. I can't imagine how he felt. Mm -hmm. So we go and we have to sell our house. There's no choice. We're about two months out from foreclosure. And just this, trying to think of the proper terminology to use for this so that I don't really say anything too bad. This slimy, it's been nice way I can put it, slimy ass real estate agent Mm. shows up to our door. I guess they got a list of distressed properties or something like that. Mm -hmm. And they want to sell our house. Mm -hmm. So they put our price down super low. My parents take a big hit on that. They're backwards on their mortgage from what I believe. Yeah. I don't go into the details with them because that's kind of a time that we just don't really want to dive into. Mm. And I saw how they were treated. And to me, that is not how some of the biggest decisions of your life should be made. And I thought by getting into the real estate industry that I could change the narrative behind that. My narrative mm-hmm. was pretty much F, all real estate mm-hmm. agents, all real estate, this, that, and the other. Mm-hmm. And I knew that I needed to change that mindset. Mm -hmm. And the only way that I could do that is an acting change myself. So good. It's interesting, right? How I always wanted to run my own business turned into something that was much more missional and much more personal for you. Yeah, it really was. You know, it was more of a desire Mm -hmm. to run my own business. But then what I needed internally was to lead people, help people out, make people feel comfortable making giant decisions. And that was something that realistically, if I ran my own business, I don't know what I would have been doing. I have no idea. I just wanted to be the boss and do this, that, and the other and help people. But being able to take somebody's hand and walk them through the biggest purchase of their entire life or a giant sell that's Mm -hmm. going to help them retire possibly or something like that, there's an uncanny resemblance to just saving somebody in that kind of situation. Yeah. The same situation that my parents were in. Oh, it's so good. And I can tell it's genuine and authentic and laced with memories, emotion, some negative, some positive, I'm sure. But I love the, I wrote it down, I knew I needed to enact change myself. And you chose to do that from an internally. You could have gone the other way and 
reported the guy, you know, and kind of like call the managing broker and say, hey, this is our experience and everything. And maybe that crossed your mind, but uh, that's a super interesting hook into the industry of, man, what a shit show to be blunt. And and I bet I could jump in there and fix it. At the time that that happened, you were like 11 or 12 12, years old. At 12 years old, I wasn't calling no managing <laughs> which, broker. Which is funny. I love it. I can still picture a 12-year-old Vasey calling, <laughs> calling the managing broker. I'd like to file a complaint. Hey, I got a complaint. Yeah. Like, it was just crazy, you know, at that time. Like, when I say newspaper outs, people think 100, 200 papers. We had a two-car garage and filled one size. I think probably 1,800 papers a route. Wow. And they did three routes. And the only time that you can really deliver those papers when you have a full-time job during the day is at night. Yeah. So 1 a.m. we would all pile into the car. We would pull them out of the trunk. We had a, I think it was like a Chevy Tahoe. We'd pull the papers out of the trunk, hand them to our mom. Our mom would throw them out the window. So we would drive around with them because we couldn't afford a babysitter at the time. It was like the assembly line. Like, yeah, it was a giant assembly ama- line. Amazing. In this Chevy Tahoe. I'm sure your parents would probably, any parents would choose differently. However, I'm guessing that there's a significant amount of grit <laughs> we, yeah. We've been talking about grit quite a bit on, on the podcast over the past couple of episodes. That gets, that's not teaching someone how to have grit and endurance and do whatever it takes. And hey, sometimes we all go through the muck and the mire. That's not teaching. That's actually just living it. Yeah. Like just straight up, you're just, you don't have any choice. You're just living. And as a 10, 12 year old, whatever you were back then, highly impressionable ages. So in a way, I mean, we did a podcast with a gentleman named Nathan who said our our scars are our superpowers. And I don't know if that memory is a scar necessarily, but I think it's become a superpower. I think it's, if realistically, it's made me who I am. I would not be the way that I am, think the way that I do, do Mm. the things that I've done without those experiences. Without that, yeah. I went to college in Penn State. I was a Mm. walk-on. There was no money for me there. I was a broke kid going to a state university with a $42,000 a year tuition. Mm. I was a big nut to crack. Yeah, it's a pain. (laughs) Sally May regularly, you know what's me, every single month. (laughs) It is not fun. And I remember my freshman year, I was struggling bad. I was homesick. I wasn't getting along all that great with all the scholarship players because they were just Mm -hmm. wanting around, you know, spending money, this, that, and the other. And I was trying to work summer camps and go home for the summer to lifeguard to make money. Mm. And I remember coming in for summer camp. I think it was my red shirt freshman year. So my second year in college. Yeah. And I said this at my, at the team meeting, we always had one senior come up and speak. I was probably 30 seconds from walking in the office and quitting. And it's a hard pill to swallow, especially considering where I've got to today. Yeah. I had lined up a meeting with my strength conditioning coach and I was snapping outside the door, just waiting to talk to him, trying to kill time. And my teammate, Koa Farmer walks up to me and goes, Hey man, keep doing what you're doing. We're going to need you one day. So Coach is walking down the stairs, strength conditioning coach. I run through the training room, run back to the locker room, grab my shit, and head back to the dorm because I was getting ready to quit. Yeah. Mm. And having that kind of reinforcement, if I was there for 30 more seconds and Coe didn't say that to me, I don't know where I'd be. Would have been a different outcome. Totally different outcome. Yeah. But just that one little moment, you know, it, it reinforced me like who I am and why I do what I do. It's so amazing. Yeah. Words like that matter, especially from teammates. Yes. That could have come from a coach, which maybe would have been as meaningful, but... There's something about a positive reinforcement or a challenge when needed from a teammate that is pretty visceral with its power. It just lands differently. Yeah. Yeah, yeah absolutely. You can have a coach rah-rah you all the time. And just from being on the team for as long as I have, it's, it's not the same as when it comes from your teammates. Yeah. Yep. You know, it's, we had uh, team captains and game captains. And 
being a four-time game captain my senior year was the biggest honor mm-hmm. that I could ask for. I was a long snapper. Nobody knew who my name was. Mm-hmm. I went up on the billboard and it went silent. Everybody was like, who's that dude? Right. <laughs> you know, it was a little bit different. I was like, well, you know, like, I'm just out here to do my thing. But having that kind of recognition from my teammates and being looked at as a leader in my group. And I had a guy literally today, it's funny how I was going to grab my phone, called me up from, he was a sophomore when I was a senior, called me up to watch his game film. He's now playing at uh, State University, New York. He just played Baylor and he just launched a snap way over his punter's head through the back of the end zone. And he's like, hey, I remember when you screwed up. Can you help me through this mentally? <laughs> I was like, thanks, buddy. Like, really glad for the memory, but sure. So you think of me when you screw up. <laughs> exactly. But I was, I was his first call, yeah, which, you know, awesome. is nice to still have that connection. That's a guy I haven't talked to in two, three years. Yeah. yeah. But we were on the phone for 30 minutes just having a conversation about what he did and how we can get through it mentally, how I got through it mentally, and how to move forward even though you failed once. Yeah. Yeah. That's so big. So that's such a good segue into one of the things we wanted to touch on today because you had a phenomenal first year in real estate, phenomenal first year, even by Thrive standards, you know, which are pretty high. Mm-hmm. And it's funny because I think people, people can see you and they can see your accolades and your story at surface level and go, well, of course this guy was going to be successful, right? But it's interesting because sometimes it's those screw ups, it's the vulnerability, it's hey, I'm not perfect and I don't have it all together, that makes you approachable and relatable to a lot of people. And so on the one hand, we can look at, which I don't know if you know this, Dave, when Vasey was interviewing with us, I asked like, hey, what else have you been successful at? And we were talking about his football career and he said in whatever year it was, 2018, I had the most watched viral video on ESPN that year. Oh, I did. I, I remember that. Yeah. Which if you At haven't watched it, yeah, you got to go watch it. And it's funny because you told me that. I went and looked it up and I'm like, oh, I totally remember watching this on ESPN when it happened. <laughs> I just didn't know that was you, yeah. right? And yet, rather than getting caught up in just all of the good things that have happened in your real estate career up to this point, you just had your one year anniversary a month ago. Congrats. Thank um, you. Close 25 transactions in your first year. Talk a little bit about the highlights. What were some of the things that went really well that led to a great first year because I think there's some really good teachable moments in there, but also be vulnerable with us and talk about like what were some of the lowlights, what were some of the challenges and struggles that you had to suffer through in your first year? And if you could maybe go back and do some things differently, what would you have done differently? Oh shit, you two might not like me after my uh, lows here. <laughs> Bring it on. We got a whole bottle of Woody Creek sitting we'll, right we'll here. Go with so the lows first. You should probably fill that thing up real quick, Dave. <laughs> So the biggest low of my real estate career so far was the time frame between September and November 26th. Okay, that's pretty specific. So that time frame, I did not find a deal. I did not do a deal. I closed my last deal end of September, and then I did not do another one until November 26th. I went under contract on a place in Thornton. I think it's 5255 Dahlia. During that time, bills get tight. Mm -hmm. It's part of life. I remember we had a team meeting at 9 a.m. on a Tuesday. I think it was, yeah, the first week of November. That morning at 7 o'clock, I showed up to the Amazon warehouse in Northfield because I was going to start a part-time job. Oh, wow. Yeah. I did not know that. I, I, did, I didn't know that either. Do you, yeah. It's ironic that you, do you remember what I told you during somewhere during that time frame? I'm trying to think. I remember that you called me on the way back talking about starting to do the group interviews. You called me on the way back from going to that warehouse. 
He's like, I actually just came from an interview. <laughs> I didn't know you had done that, but I remember somewhere in that time frame, I remember saying to you, I can't remember if we were at the office or it was over the phone, but I just remember thinking, I see your stats and I know how hard you're working, but I know the results aren't there. And I just said, man, keep working as hard as you are because there's a lot of value in tricking your brain into believing that you deserve success. Do you remember this? Yes, I do. Right, where... I think there's something to be said for that, right? Like, I didn't know that you got that low, but there is something to be said if you're listening to this right now. Like, working so hard that you get frustrated, you're maybe at the point of tears where you're like, damn it, I deserve to be successful at this. And I saw you working that hard and it just wasn't happening yet. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's a key thing is to hang tough and to work hard enough and keep the pressure on the system when you're in that lull. Because just for context, I mean, you started in August you started middle of August, you got your first deal in September, but then you had this, this really long lull. And oh, by the way, you had just gotten married and you had left a career where you were making well over six figures. So I imagine that was pretty damn tough on you. Yeah, it was. And you know, it's, I remember pulling into the parking lot and I'm sitting there looking around and I'm like, I'm not fucking doing this. <laughs> Excuse my language. I was like, I'm not fucking doing this. Mm-hmm. And I told myself that and I'm, I'm sitting in the truck and I'm like, this is not how I'm going to go out. I'm not going to half-ass it in the career that I love to make ends meet. I'm just going to dive deeper. And I think that day after the team meeting, I probably made 250 phone calls. Mm. <laughs> Ended up getting a bunch of deals going just from, from doing that work. But sometimes it takes just drowning, drowning low to shoot and skyrocket up to the top. You know, November, I think one under contract. Mm-hmm. December, five under contract. January, 400 contract. February, 500 contract. March, 500 contract. It just happened. Which it's so um, abnormal for so many reasons. First, like Rob just said, usually, and it's understandable, our human wiring, particularly when we're trying to be responsible adults, good husbands, providers, good leaders of the family, if, if you have one, is to pay the bills. Yeah. And when that's not happening, I think that the natural inclination is to look outside of yourself versus looking internally. And that was your first inclination, which is totally normal. It would probably be mine too, is to look for solution. Yours was potentially, man, I just got to get an hourly job, like an Amazon warehouse job, whatever whatever the case may be. It could be bartending, whatever. Which I'm so glad you didn't because that would have diluted your focus and just made things harder, not better. Sorry. Yeah. No, ahead. but the interesting thing there is that there's that. And then there's also, I'm brand new in real estate, right? So there could have been quite a bit of rationalization that, well, I'm new and this is me getting going and I got to bridge the gap and, you know, this is only temporary and blah, 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 all, all the things that can come into someone's mind. And it's fourth quarter, which I know in football is like, well, that's when the game get won. But in real estate, that's the lowest point of the season. <laughs> like just yeah. that's a fact, you know, most people do not move by sell between Thanksgiving, Christmas, and New Year's, particularly in Denver where there's snow and storms and whatnot. Mm-hmm. So, so many... So many things, physically, mentally, emotionally, market-driven dynamics that are totally outside of your control, totally at your, your friction points, basically, that are there. And I just love the imagery, even, of you sitting in a truck in an Amazon parking lot and going, I can't, I'm not doing this. I, I refuse. And then the next day, 250 calls. And then in the fourth quarter of real estate, which anyone, even if you've been in real estate for 10 years, would tell you, yeah, December, January, slow. And you're pulling five, four, five transactions out December, January, February. 
And so it, it is interesting how the results do come, but they don't necessarily come when you expect them to. Oh, yeah. Or when it's convenient. And can you talk about this real quick? And then I know we took a sidetrack from, from some of the lowlights, but I've heard you say this before. Talk about that fourth quarter, right? Because like Dave said, it is traditionally slow. And I've heard you talk about this before. Yeah, that, um, that pisses me off. <laughs> I love not, it. I'm, I'm glad it does. I'm not going to lie to you. You know, there's anybody can make an excuse for anything. Yeah. We can pull stuff out of our ass and use it as an excuse. Totally. That's, that's not. That's not the type of person I want to be. Yeah. When I used to hear that in the team meeting, I think I think I complained to Rob about it. I was yeah. like, why the hell is everybody talking about slow? You know, blah, blah, blah. Like I was getting all pissed off and angry about it. And we would hear it in our group meetings, our smaller meetings, our um, wake sessions. And it was just driving me nuts. Yeah. Like to the point where I was like physically unwell, like hair on the back of my neck is up. Like <laughs> and I've gotten a lot better at controlling my <laughs> temper, thank God. But um, yeah, no, it really used to bother me just because mm-hmm. I believe that you dictate your own circumstances. Mm-hmm. There is nobody who has control over what you do aside from you. Mm-hmm. You know, there can be roadblocks in the way, move it out of the way. Mm-hmm. You know, there can be hurdles you have to get over, get over them. There's nobody who's going to dictate your business more than you and your mentality. So good. Yeah, it's huge. I love it. Well, um, and you, you had a monster holiday season, but because you put in a crap load of work and you controlled the controllables leading up to the holiday season, right? Like I remember you saying, like this really stuck with me because we had the same thing in the insurance business, mm-hmm. right? Which I did for 11 years. And it was like that, that holiday season was always the quote unquote slow time. Everybody just kind of resigned themselves to it. The reality is it was slow because people's efforts diminished, not because you couldn't make sales during that time. Sure. Like, yeah, yeah, were the odds stacked against you? Of course. But that was an excuse a lot of times. It was people making peace with the fact that they just didn't want to work that hard during that season. I remember you saying like, nope, nope, this isn't going to happen. I'm going to front load my pipeline. I am going to work hard enough that I'm not going to have a slow holiday season. And then you didn't. I hung up on my family on Thanksgiving (laughs) to take a call. The next day I showed the property and we went under contract and we closed Christmas Eve. Yeah. I had my truck packed so that when I got home, Abby could throw her stuff in and we could go to the airport to go home for Christmas. That was how I had to attack business. Yeah. That's why going into this winter, like I'm excited. Mm -hmm. Like, go ahead, everybody go, go vacation. (laughs) Get out of here. I just did my vacation in in July and August. (laughs) And typically that's a super busy time. Mm -hmm. Yep. No, it's not my busy time. My busy time is when I say my busy time is. Yeah. But it's funny, right? How delivering papers at 1 a.m. as a teenager and and suffering through that built a lot of character where I'm sure there were parts of you that are like, well, this is nothing compared to that. It's not that bad, right? That's right. the real power of grit is having context for it. Like, well, whatever I'm going through, that seems really bad. It's not that bad compared to X. Fill in the blank. Yeah, whatever right? it is. Yeah, yeah. Which, which you already had built that you had built that muscle of doing hard things, doing uncomfortable things and just being okay with it. Yeah. Even this morning. So I was talking about having a puppy and I'll just, I'll show you two while we're talking about it. I think last night I got an hour and 45 minutes of sleep. <laughs> I just don't give a shit. I don't need it. <laughs> with a puppy. <laughs> so yeah, it's all the puppy's fault. Don't get me wrong. Can't wait for Kyle and Abby to have but, kids. Right. It's, you know, it's going to increase your lead flow two X. <laughs> I don't care. Do it. I'll make more money. <laughs> like, the only thing you're slowing down so is not good. doing it right now. <laughs> but That's I wish awesome. I could find it on my phone, but usually it shows, you know, the hours you're awake, this, that, and the other. But yeah, my head didn't hit the pillow last night until 
probably 2, 15, 2, 30. Mm. And I woke up four o'clock. Ready to go. Got to go and took the puppy out. You know, it took my hour of peace and quiet time. Now that's not quite as existent with a 10-week-old golden retriever running around. <laughs> but I did my best. I went to the gym, got my workout in, went home, uh, had that call with my former teammate. This afternoon, I reached out to an investor about a property that I could be having to come on market mm. relatively soon that I want to get a good deal on. Um, reached out to a client that I had talked to on the phone yesterday, sent him some details, sent him some really unique information to kind of stand out. Nice. Um, I have an app on X that I use that shows me where all the property lines are pretty much so I don't get shot when I go fishing. Um, but it also helps with showing you the actual property lines of like national forest and parks and oh, things yeah. like that. Sent him that kind of information, talked to a couple of the people this afternoon and then popped over here. You know, and the so whole good. time I'm taking care of the puppy, this, that, and the other. Yeah. By the way, cheers to living one of your goals, which was agency over your own calendar. Yep. Yeah. And it's funny because maybe we can turn into this a little bit because for anyone who hasn't listened yet, one of Thrive's core business models is what we call fast stacking your database with leads, right? We call them leads. You can call them strangers because you don't know them. Lots of different ways of describing that. But one of the main principles is we get to meet a lot of people and have a lot of at-bats that you wouldn't have otherwise if you were doing more of a sphere-based marketing model where ultimately you kind of have to wait for someone to be ready to buy and sell and then, and then you get to work with them versus... In our world, we work with what we call hand raisers, right? People that have raised their hand and said, hey, I've got something in my life going on and it has a real estate component to it, so I need to buy or sell. So that model is a massively beneficial model. It has a lot of inertia behind it, has a lot of power behind it. And it also can be difficult because when people first start on that model, they struggle with having agency over their calendar because you're kind of constantly at the, the whim of, you know, whoever wants to see a house or potentially talk about selling a house because we're in a convenience-driven market. And if you're not Johnny on the spot, ready to talk to somebody, then they'll typically find somebody who is. Me. You know, pr pretty quick. Me. You. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, being, so Being convenient for the client is massively inconvenient for the agent. Totally. Yeah. So talk about how you handled that because out of your 25 transactions your first year, how many of them were... Online leads? 19. 19. And then six were either repeat referrals, sphere-based, you know, whatever. So the vast majority, I don't know what that percentage is, but it's a lot, were online leads. So how did you navigate? And even today, because you're still doing online leads right now, how do you navigate having some level of control? Because I think sometimes people look at you and they're like, what? Like 25 transactions? And, and yet you're always at the team meeting. You're always at company meetings. You always have time for podcasts. You always have time for fishing, you protect your personal time, you're married. From what you've told me, that relationship is good and dynamic and solid. Like there's probably a lot of people that thrive and maybe across the country that might be listening to this and going, how do you do it all? Like you didn't, you know, it's not lopsided. Your wife's not pissed. You're still got a fly rod in your hand quite often from what I've seen. Yeah. And yet closing 25 deals in your first year in real estate and your first licensed <laughs> it's not even like you transition, you just note like straight into real estate. Is Thir I 13 months ago, I didn't know what a mortgage was. <laughs> <laughs> I love awesome. that. I love that. Hopefully, You're the crazy. Ho hopefully, the Department of Regulatory Agencies is not listening. Anyway, um, yeah. So, anyway, talk about just how to run this model and be successful with it and not sacrifice your soul and still have a life, recreation, a wife, dream of a family, you know. All of it. Yeah. No, you know, so it's funny. I agree with Rob on 99.999% of things. 
The one thing that he just said (laughs) is you're at the beck and call and it's inconvenient. Now, a lot of people look at it that way. I see it as someone is calling me for my help and I have the opportunity to make money to help my family get this freedom that I enjoy so much Mm. and do the things I love to do. It's one of those mindset things. Mm. You know, oh, damn it. Somebody's calling me and wants me to get a 10 grand commission check. I'm so heartbroken. <laughs> you know, it's, it's, it's all about how you think about it. Like, yes, is it inconvenient to, I had a showing on Labor Day at 8 a.m. And I think it was Labor Day or Memorial Day, one of the two. And um, the guy didn't show up. No, no <laughs> show. Straight up no show. Yeah. I'm like sending videos and stuff like that. I think I called him every night at midnight for the next two weeks. But <laughs> so, <laughs> but um, you know, it's 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 all mindset. Yeah, you know, everything about every single industry you get into is mindset. Mm. That's why there's people that are recognized in every industry mm. as different than the rest. Mm-hmm. You look at people who are financial planning. You look at the Dave Ramseys of the world. You look at business investors, and you look at Mark Cuban. Mm-hmm. They are so unique and the way that they think, and the way that they operate. Mm. Every single successful person has a different mindset than your average show. And it's something that you can adopt or you can go with the flow. Yeah, I'm not a go with the flow type of person. Mm-hmm. I've done three showings. Now, let me preface this. I absolutely try to be the most professional individual that I possibly can at every single time. Yeah, They called me when I was at the gym. I'm showing up at tank tops and shorts. Mm. Because it's early in the morning. They are getting on a flight at 10 a.m. They got to see this house at 8. And I've sold those three showings. So good. That was inconvenient, quote unquote. But to me, I saw opportunity. Mm -hmm. I saw one, a way to make my clients happy. Two, to help me push myself in my career. And three, just to give the best possible experience that I possibly could. Mm -hmm. You know, a lot of people might think of that and be like, oh, that looks so unprofessional. I showed up on a half hour's notice in Golden while I'm in Cherry Creek. That's a 32-minute drive. I made it in 29 minutes. <laughs> I showed that house and I put it under contract for 20000 less they were asking for, and then I got them 15000 sessions. So good. I see nothing wrong with that. I see nothing inconvenient. Yep. Because you're seeing it through the lens of opportunity, business building, getting where you want to go, building blocks. The North Star is always the vision that you have for you and your wife and, and your family. And so in that mindset, if I'm hearing you right, you see it as, if not me, then who? Yeah, yeah, no, you know, it's everybody talks about, oh, they, they throttle down their, their business in Thanksgiving, Christmas, mm-hmm. things like that. Go for it, because there's people like me out there who are going to take that business and run with it and turn it into three, four, five, six transactions, 10 by the time I retire. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I have no problem with that, go for it. Yeah. yeah. Well, and another so key good. word he said in there was freedom, mm-hmm. right? This is a chance to build freedom, and um, it reminds me of something that I heard a lot from one of my mentors, Chris, who always used to say discipline equals freedom, right? I know you've heard that as well from the book business, discipline equals freedom. And no coincidence, you're one of the most disciplined people we know, right? It's like you really control your calendar. Your calendar doesn't control you. It's not like you're grinding it out, doing all these transactions, and that's like the sole focus of your identity. You are making time for your wife, for a puppy, for fly fishing, for the things that recharge your batteries. And I think you do a great job of yeah, you work really hard. You're maybe the hardest worker we know, mm. but you still have time for things that are priorities in your life. Yeah, you know, it's if I didn't give those time to my priorities, I would lose sight of what I'm doing it for. I'm married young. I got married, I think I was 26 years old. Mm-hmm. A lot of people are freaked out by that idea. Mm-hmm. You know, I met her when I was in college. 
I knew the day that I met her that I was going to marry her, and she thought I was a freak. Um, <laughs> you're not in a good way. You are. You are a freak. <laughs> not in a good way. <laughs> um, I'm down there. You, you are a freak in the best way possible. <laughs> and she just, I wanted nothing to do with me for the first month that we knew each other. And when you commit to something that young, I got engaged the summer after college. Mm. It's not something that you just, oh, you know, you casually do. This is the person you're going to spend the rest of your life with. So if you don't give it 110%, you probably shouldn't be in it in the first place. Yeah, probably not. You know what just hit me is one of the things that I think has the potential to make people uncomfortable when they're around you is your level of commitment to the things you commit to and your level of intensity and excellence that you bring to the things that you put your mind to. It makes other people uncomfortable because sometimes they look at you and they look at the way you do things and they're like, this guy is uncommon and he's making me look bad. <laughs> right? And so I would just encourage you to keep doing that. And um, I think it's pretty obvious from this conversation, you're doing things for the right reasons. Yeah. And don't let the detractors or the naysayers try to make you feel bad for the level of commitment or intensity that you bring to the things that you're bringing mm, yeah. it to. Right? Yeah, no, your I'm, real estate career, your marriage, your fly fishing, right? your friendships, your family. Yeah. We talked about some of the hard stuff and I know we're cutting in on our stopping point. Can you talk a little bit about some of the things that you did really well your first year and what were some things that in addition to the discipline, the commitment, the amount of work that you put in, what else contributed to you having a great first year in real estate? I was not willing to lose to anybody for any circumstance. My fourth deal ever was a 21 offer situation. Mm. I was probably the most annoying SOB that agent has ever met. <laughs> I called him 12 times in six hours. And every time it was like, hey, what's going on? What's going on, man? Hey, you know, just absolute nightmare of a person. I think I remember at the end when we closed, he looked at me, he goes, please never fucking call me again. <laughs> like, All right, like, I get it. Like, I don't blame you there. So but it's, <laughs> it's doing the uncommon things. You know, I would look at those leaderboards that we had on Follow Up Boss before mm. I was full-time busy. Yeah. And when I was just building my business and I would look at those leaderboards and if I wasn't in first place, I was pissed. You know, there were three months straight there where I did not move off that leaderboard from first place. Mm -hmm. I made it an intentional effort. That's the thing we were talking about even as we were just sipping some bourbon getting ready for the podcast, which we always do. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, who does a podcast without a, bourbon? I mean, come on. What are you crazy? What are you doing? <laughs> get, get it together. So we labeled that internal competition, right? And so yes. it's funny you bring up leaderboards because leaderboards are important. They give a line of sight. They give visibility into who's doing well. They also give visibility into who's not. And that, that makes some people uncomfortable to not be on a leaderboard. And sometimes they go, I, you know, I don't want to be involved in an organization that's numbers driven and numerically driven, which is- That's all businesses. It's silly because, yeah, I mean, <laughs> business is numbers. It's math. It's scoreboards. It, it is what it is. So how do you develop, like this would be the how-to part of the podcast, right? right? If someone's listening, they're like, oh my God, like this guy's making a lot of sense and I, I totally get what he's saying, but I don't, I'm not really sure how to develop and express and live a life of internal competition. Because even though the scoreboards are important, what we established in preparation for the podcast was that what's even more important Internal. Is internal competition. Like somehow you set your own standards, your own barometer of standards internally. And, and we see this consistently across everyone who's successful. They have some level of awareness of that. Do you have any, I hate to call them tips and tricks, but literally tactics probably is a better way to say it, tactics on 
here's how, here's what somebody should actually go do and go execute this in your life in order to foster and develop and lean into this idea of internal competition. Yeah, yeah, you know, so I, like we talked about, I played at Penn State mm-hmm. and we had four core values. They were positive attitude, great work ethic, compete in everything you do, and you must be willing to sacrifice. Okay. And having those drilled in my head mm. for hours and hours a day has always rung true to me. Mm. You know, it's always things that I look back and it drives that internal competitiveness that I have with myself. Mm-hmm. You know, there are days where I am furious with myself and I don't like the person I'm seeing in the mirror. Mm-hmm. You know, it can be physically, it can be from a work standpoint, it could be from a deal standpoint, financially, it doesn't matter. You know, there are some things that you look at and you feel inside and you have to attack those things. Mm-hmm. You know, if you see something you don't like that you're doing yourself, going after that is internal competition. If you have a goal set that you have your sights on and you are not reaching, that's internal competition. Don't do things to make other people happy. If I did that, I'd curse half as much. I'd make a quarter as much money. (laughs) And I would just be a pushover. (laughs) Just being as blunt as humanly possible. And probably pretty unhappy. Yeah, extremely unhappy. What makes me happy, I like when people look at me and think I'm weird. Mm. Or think that I am, you know, have a couple screws loose. That's fine with me. I'd rather be that way and make myself happy internally than make other people happy. Yeah. It's always been the way that I've been and it's always been that thing that harvests that internal competitiveness that I refuse to lose. You can put me in a room with anybody. I can't think of a thing that I set my mind to that I am willing to lose. Yeah. I am the type that, I mean, <laughs> growing up, like I could be wrestling around my little brothers when we were, when we were younger. I wouldn't lose. I didn't care what it took. <laughs> I mean, we had nerve guns and, you know, quick shooting stuff and, and all that. And I'm smacking them with the back of the gun because I run out of bullets. Like, <laughs> it didn't matter. Like I'm, I'm fly fishing with Rob and I'm seeing how many fish he's catching. And I'll get this like, I get, it's almost, it sounds kind of funny. It's like a flow. And I'm not this yoga bunk sway person. I do do a lot of visualization in the yeah. morning and things like that. I sit quietly and do my thing. But realistically, like you get in the flow and you start knocking things out. Mm-hmm. You know, I have Rob's going and he's catching fish next to me. You know, damn well, I'm catching more fish before I leave. <laughs> I ref- you, know, it's, you know, what's funny is when we're having a bad day of fishing, it's ironic how it works. I always go, oh, Vasey, is this the day you get skunked? <laughs> because he's never been skunked a single day that we've ever fished together. And every time I say that, within like 10 or 15 minutes, he's got a fish. He's got a fish. <laughs> it's just, we could have been fishing for three hours, but right. there's something about like the moment I say that, things go into a different, a different mode, different gear. Yeah. What's funny is, uh, and, I, and we, we could probably riff on this for like the next 45 minutes, but I know we have to wrap. So I've kept a mental journal since we started the podcast. You've said the word attack five times. I think it's five times. I'm almost positive five times. I might've missed one or two. So it might've been six or seven. Because you removed my F word. <laughs> <laughs> but I think, yeah, maybe, I mean, one of my takeaways, because I always learn stuff when, whenever we're interviewing people, but, um, and even for our listeners, you think about that word attack and how many times you said it, probably subconsciously. That's the way you think about everything in a good way. I'm guessing if you saw something that you needed to change or improve on with your relationship with Abby, your wife, you would attack that too. You know, something that you got to own, something you could change and do better to be, you know, a better partner, a better husband. Absolutely. You would, you would attack that. And I think that word attack has a lot of intention, proactivity, design, awareness, 
there's a lot that goes into that word when you think about if you're going to attack something, you need a plan, you need a commitment. To start with, you have to at least acknowledge that it's true. And sometimes that's hard to say, yeah, I don't, I'm not good at this or I, I don't show up the way that I want to be showing up in this particular situation, which takes vulnerability and authenticity and genuine, mm-hmm. gen, you know, measure of genuineness. Maybe if there's any one small little takeaway tactically from that piece is, uh, yeah, attack the day. Attack who you want to be. Attack your goals. Attack your relationships. Be proactive. Lean in. And actually even make a list. I know you have tons of lists. I've seen them. Uh, (laughs) Excel spreadsheets beyond any normal (laughs) programming of of Excel spreadsheets. So so it's uh, everyone has their own way of doing it. Maybe it's Excel spreadsheets. Maybe it's sticky notes stuck on your bathroom mirror. Yeah. But the point is to be forward and aware and intentional with who you want to become. I know one of our kind of heroes, Landon Lynch, if you're listening, Landon, cheers, says it this way. You can be accidentally successful, but that's not going to be repeatable. No. Like you might have a great year in real estate. You might have a great season with your marriage. You might have a, you know, fill in the blank, and it's temporary. But being successful intentionally, that's fun because then you get to rinse and repeat. And that's right. usually success is contagious, and so it flows over into other areas of your life too. Yeah, yeah. and I I hate stagnation. That is the biggest crutch to success, mm-hmm. aside from mentality. Mm-hmm. You know, that. when I'm fishing, I'm constantly moving. I'm not sitting there waiting for something. I'm finding spots. I'm finding fish. When I'm hunting, I don't sit in a tree stand. I run up and down mountains. I run through fields. Mm. It doesn't matter to me. When I go in the gym, I don't go there and, and lift light, light weights to kill time. I'm in there to make myself sore, to get myself hurt. I mm. don't care. When I'm driving, I drive fast. I don't care. I know the truck goes to 105 only. The reason I found that out, because <laughs> I was trying to race down to Broadway to see Rob one day from Brighton. You know, I, I don't do things slow. I, I can't be stagnant. It drives me nuts. I love this guy. Yeah, It's good. It's probably a good mic drop. <laughs> well, let me, yeah, let me wrap up with this. I want to just give you a little affirmation and some words of encouragement. I am unbelievably thankful that we get to work with you because mm, you. I think your attitude elevates everybody around you. You set an example that's worth following. You're writing a story worth telling. And in an industry that, good Lord, I mean, there's a stigma in this industry for good reason. Oh, yeah. And I know I'm going to say this, and I know the look I'm going to get on Nessa's face when I say this, but in an industry where so many people are so worried about looking good mm-hmm. over being good, mm-hmm. you're more worried about being good than looking good. Mm-hmm. And um, that deserves applause and recognition. I mean, hats off to you. Thank you. I appreciate that. I take pride in being an ugly monk. (laughs) 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 Got to get those sound effects going. Anything else before we wrap up? No, I don't think so. I mean, if you're listening, figure out a way for you to attack what you want and do it. So, Mr. Kyle Vasey, everybody, and uh, thanks for being here, man. Yeah, thank you guys. Thanks, buddy. Absolutely. Cheers. See ya. 